Hello, and welcome to the Movie Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll have a spoiler-filled discussion about a movie we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the National Treasure movie from 2004. There is a sequel to this. There's a TV series that's got at least a season of that's aired. And I think there's plans to do a third movie. Oh, interesting. At least there were plans at one point. I don't know if there's still plans. So we've just watched the first movie because I don't think I've seen it since around the time it came out. So, or sometime after. 10 years at least, possibly close to 20. Because again, 2004, we're recording this in 2023. Mm -hmm. And if I had to give this a high level pitch, Imagine a Indiana Jones kind of archaeologist, but set in America, feeling like it should have been a Tom Cruise movie, but has Nicolas Cage instead. Yeah. And, and there are a couple of things that are, it, it's a fun movie, first yes, of all. It's definitely. enjoyable. It's not brilliant. A little Da Vinci Code aspect, but Americana version of it. It's all ages. It's all ages. It's action-filled without being over the top. Mm-hmm. It's got history- aspects of it that make learning about history seem a little more fun and more more relatable. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it from a strictly architectural point of view- <laughs> No way. It's it's ludicrous. The, f the further into the movie you get, by the end of it- Oh, yeah. Because you know how Indiana Jones ends with the Ark being stored in that cavernous warehouse? Yeah. Imagine that sort of a thing buried beneath Wall Street. Yeah. And it's just how- yeah. So, overall, I enjoyed this. There's an aspect of this kind of treasure hunt film where you've got to have a reason for the main protagonist to be just hell-bent on, on finding the thing. It's got to mm -hmm. be a, you know, personal obsession. And then you've got to have clue leading to clue, leading to clue, leading to clue, leading to clue. And then, of course, you've got to have the person who wants to go steal the treasure for themselves. Yeah. Well, and I liked how our person who was hellbent on finding it went basically and said, you know, we need to find someone who is determined to guard one item. And if, if that's not the FBI, if that's not Homeland Security, because they won't believe our outrageous but true tale. Yeah. Find somebody who's got a bit more of a personal stake in it. Yeah. And using that to bring kind of the third member of the team in. Mm-hmm. I thought was it was a clever idea. I liked how it started with finding the ship, the Charlotte, mm -hmm. which was our go to the outrageous location and weather. Well, open on the outrageous location, yes. almost not the opening because we've got to have a preamble scene to set the stage mm -hmm. of the mythology and great use of Christopher Plummer there. Yes, yes. Now, what I think they missed with the Charlotte was a few-minute recap, be it just verbally or whatever, where I think they, they missed an opportunity or something I would have appreciated at least was when we're getting to the Charlotte and such, getting a, okay, it's it's a ship. Was this taking the, the Liberty Bell over, a copy of the Liberty Bell, the first copy, the original, you know, what was this ship? Why was it there? Because it looked like when they found it with the metal detector that it was the Liberty Bell, but then they just completely dismissed that. 
and never do anything about that again. Or even clearly establish, this is a replica of, or the bell is a replica of. It was the ship's bell identifying the ship as the Charlotte out of Boston. Okay. It, yeah. I had Liberty Bell on the mind, so. Yeah. And obvi- and for good reason. Yeah. Based on the way the film played out. But I agree. I would have liked to know. Why was the Charlotte an important ship? Yeah. Or I would have liked to know something about the Charlotte. Because they did when Christopher Plummer was laying the scene for the movie. He, they had some great footage to go with what he was saying, and they really just gave this captivating sense of how U.S. history played into this and how this wasn't just a, a small story about today and tomorrow. Well, and bringing in the, the Freemasons, mm-hmm. the odd things on the back of dollar bills or yes. hundred dollar bills and all that kind of stuff. Although it being on the back of a hundred dollar bill seemed a little odd. Because I don't know when we first got the $100 bill. But going back to the Masons are still around today. But to have that factored in to the map, the map needing the key that was on the Charlotte, which was up above the Arctic Circle, to get into something that was built in... New York. New York. So after it was built, they they had the key, which was the pipe that got on the ship. Why was it on the ship? You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. that I would love to see at the end of one of these kinds of, of movies, a tag scene at the end with two people talking back in the day. Mm-hmm. No, seriously, if we set it up this way, nobody will find it. This will work. That'll work. Yes. This, and we find out they actually shortcut two or three things and got one totally wrong or something. Yes. Yes. So just just what were they thinking when they put this mystery together? It would have been amusing at the end to have a scene where we've got Ben Franklin writing out a list, a to-do list, basically, of, you know, put the pipe on the Charlotte, give note to so-and-so, and making sure all the pieces, and having someone come in, even if it's just his wife, looking over his shoulder, going, oh, that's too complicated. I would have two people, and I think Franklin's got to be one of them. I'm not sure who else would be the other one, but find out that half of this was a joke, a prank almost. It's like, we got to keep it secret, but we can have fun with it. Yes, yes. And end almost on the line of, of Franklin saying, and you've got to stop telling the people a story about the kite. It's not true. It's- yes, yes, yes. Well, and actually have the person who walks in be his brother. And when he's trying to figure out how to do one of the things, oh, say, yeah. oh, use those nonsense letters you sent me. yes. You remember back when we did this? Yes. Oh, that was a riot kind of a thing. Yeah. Yes. I thought bringing in the those letters and stuff early on in the film was, was mm-hmm. interesting. Well, to me, it was fascinating how many things we did. Because a lot of films, the entire film would have been stealing the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, the heist for the, the, uh, the Declaration was a small chunk early in the film. Yeah. Because really, that kind of gets a lot of the treasure hunt going. We've got the opening scene in the Arctic, then the we've got to steal the declaration or the yeah the Well the competition to steal the Declaration of Independence. I love the concept of two competing heists. Yes. If we've got the cameras, I've lost the cameras. Well and I love when Ben Gates needs something to protect himself from being shot at mm. during the heist. There were aspects of the competing heists that reminded me of the episode of Leverage 
where there was the other team doing a heist at the same time. Yes. Yes. So your question at one point of did they get the idea of the food truck from this movie? Maybe. Yeah. Well, Dean Devlin's team had to have watched this film if for no other reason than the librarians. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because there's a lot of Americana and Mm -hmm. diving through history and those things that are common between the two. And a similar sense of fun about it all. Well, fun and responsibility. Yes. Because uh, Ben Franklin Gates, the lead character, Nicolas Cage's character, basically says at one point that there was a when they were writing the declaration, people don't write that way, they don't think that way, they don't act that way. But it was basically, if you're in the position to do something that needs to be done, it's your responsibility to do it. Yes. You know, the concept of the greater good and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I liked that aspect of it. And it came kind of full circle at the end with, you don't understand the concept of a bargaining chip. Yes. Yes. So... I I did find it a, a fun film. There were a few familiar faces here and there. Mm-hmm. Not a ton. Ron Canada was, was one mm-hmm. of them. You know, Harvey Keitel, Christopher Plummer, John Voigt, obviously Nicolas Cage and such. Mm-hmm. And Sean Bean. Yes. Who did a really good job as the as the bad guy, essentially. Yeah. Although I never really got a good sense of his motivation other than there's a big treasure. Money. But he was laying out a lot of money in the hope of getting more. But they said that this was treasure that had been collected through the ages. Well, and certainly when we see just the entryway to the main treasure and then get to the big cavern and stuff, it's like, okay, I can see where that's a ton. I mean, they they laid out that this was treasure that was collected for, what, 2,000 years before it went into storage? Yeah. I would actually, if I were going to do a TV spinoff of this, have it be a, I, w- I would expand the scope to international, mm-hmm. but still national treasure being the title because each country has their yes. own. Yes. And have it be an organization, it's, it's a very small, tight knit, of kind of the secret society, museum caretakers or, or mm-hmm. the keepers of the knowledge. Again, kind of like librarians to that extent, to play into the fact that at the end it's like, oh, some of this should go to the Museum in Cairo, some of this should go, you know, over to the Smithsonian, some should go over here and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So having each country and being able to get their vantage point. Because imagine if you got one of these treasure maps or mysteries or whatever, where it's a foreigner in another land and you need to have both perspectives, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a thing coming at it. Yeah. So, and I thought the the clues they gave, the mysteries they gave were not ones where it's like, oh, I should have known that or geez, how could anyone not know that? Mm-hmm. Where I felt they fell short was when they were using the silence uh, do-good letters and the cipher for that. They seemed to be very short numbers at the beginning, so it's like, you're saying it's a page number, but these were a series of letters presumably spread out over time in a newspaper. Mm -hmm. So I was expecting that first number to increment or something like that, and typically those ciphers tend to be for a singular book with Mm -hmm. a known printing. It's page, line, word not page line letter. Yeah. But if you're going for a shorter thing, maybe that makes sense. I did like them using the kid to go in and get the letters when they realized basically people know what we look like now. Yes, I loved that. I would have used more than one kid. Yeah. Because again, when the kid was running back and forth and uh, the guy noticed, wait, I I just about ran over that kid coming in. Yeah, yeah. 
So well, and I, the very last bit with the kid was hilarious. With mm-hmm. the two last bits, when he gets back over to where he's supposed to meet them with the last batch of letters. Yeah, and they figured it out and they're gone. Yeah, that was priceless. It was a convenient bus coming by. Well, but if it had been either of the other two out of the three characters, they wouldn't have needed the bus. It was because it was Riley. He needed the bus. I would have not used one kid. I would have found a way to set it up as a scavenger hunt Mm -hmm. sort of a thing. And each team gets different clues. Mm -hmm. And have a few decoy clues to where the letters just happen to be in there. I was remembering those uh, worksheets they used to give us mm-hmm. as kids when we went to a museum. Go to a museum. These are the things you've got to do. And the whole point of it was to get the kids in front of particular things, mm-hmm. reading particular stuff, seeing, you know, mm-hmm. learning in theory. Oh, I thought it was to prove we went to the exhibits instead of goofed off. Well, it was, but the <laughs> the intent was for you to actually learn something in the process. But if you gamify it, <laughs> okay. so... Yeah, I thought it was it was a fun film. There was quite a bit of, you know, let's start in DC, let's go over to oh actually into the Arctic, let's go to Boston, let's go to Philadelphia, mm-hmm. you know, let's go to, to Manhattan. Um travel seemed to be pretty quick. But in the grand scheme of things, a fairly small area. True, true. It's not like you're doing this on an international scale. That's yeah. true. Actually, that would be a hilarious thing if they would have done the classic old school you're here. You pan out to the map, mm-hmm. and you see it just goes up a little bit, and you come back in. Yeah. 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 Actually, that would be a hilarious bit to do in some kind of, of quote-unquote travel, you know, treasure hunt thing that really takes place on, like, a college campus or something that's not that far. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, I'm not going to say it was a brilliant movie, but it was fun. It was fun, and going back to the, I love it hits all ages. Yes. I think it's great for kids. I mean, I watched it when it aired on TV 10 years or more ago with dad, mm-hmm. and he and I were both loving it. Yeah, it's definitely all ages appropriate and accessible. And I think it's also got something that when I was in college, they had these, I forget exactly what they called them, but it was basically quasi courses. You don't really get credit for them, but it's a go hang out with some people and learn something sort of a deal. Mm-hmm. You could use this as the basis for like a six night, you know, hour to a night of here's the real story about the Liberty Bell, about this church or that church or how the Smithsonian got this or the declaration. You know, what did it get right? What did it get wrong? Yes. Or what's true? What's make believe? However you want to put that. So I like those things that conceivably could get somebody, you know, a little more interested in history, a little more excited about learning or something. Mm-hmm. I did think it was funny when they went to the Library of Congress. It's like, yes, everything we need to do to, yes. to rob the government is right here. Yes. Freely available. I'm like, really? Yes. The blueprints, the guys to the sewers. I'm like, what? If that's how the Library of Congress works, because I've never gone in there and tried to check out a book or resource, I'm a little worried now. Well, and there was a comment that it was the biggest library in the world, and I don't know if that's true or not. When my understanding, at least at one point, of how the Library of Congress worked was if you wanted to go through the proper copyright and everything has been mm-hmm. everything kit and caboodle process for your book. You send a copy. Exactly. Yeah. I'm curious how big of a percentage of, of books throughout time have made it over there. And 
it would be nice if there were a cyber equivalent being mm. built up. I mean, yeah. Internet Org or whatever the Internet Archive is or whatever is one thing, but still. It's that's where I think going so digital in our society is, is potentially losing out. Yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff that, you know, having having that, that print copy anchors it in time in a way that digital just doesn't. Well, there are a lot of books that I read in the 90s that just haven't made it to digital. Mm -hmm. And I see no sign of them making it to digital. Well, there's some stuff there's no incentive to make it to digital. And there's some stuff that either had a limited print run or there's it's a niche product or something like that, that either you find a physical copy or you don't. That's if you know what to look for it. And that yeah. would have been something that would have been interesting here of if there had been an expectation that something would still have been around forever and a day. Mm -hmm. You know, one of Ben Franklin's Farmer's Almanacs or whatever, or granted, this was before technology, so you wouldn't have had the problem of Here's a phonograph recording. Now, can you find something to play it? No, but it would have been interesting if they'd used the Jefferson Bible. Mm, yeah, yeah. And again, go to your end credit scene. No, no, I insist we use so-and-so's Bible. Not yours? No, mine's too good for this or something. <laughs> well, I mean, there's the King James Bible. That's what we all think about. But now there's a new King James. Yeah. And I can just see someone... Pulling out, you know, it says, we use the Bible. They pull out the new King James. That's, no, the real King James. What would be hilarious for that would be to do the book cipher, have it be one of those really old books, and it basically just gives you, like, the page, maybe mm. the line, and you've got to pull out the misspelling. Oh, that would be hilarious. Yeah. You know, the one thing that's that's out of place in it or something. I've been reading a book... I want to say it's from the late 1700s, and their spelling is different than our spelling. Oh, yeah. I, I had seen a YouTube video at one point that was basically saying that there's like, I forget how many, five or six, maybe a few more letters of the English alphabet, our English alphabet, that have dropped away. The ye old shop or yeah, whatever yeah. kind of a thing. There's the, the funny character there. Yeah, Anchorstan yeah. used to be a letter and a few things like that. And when you're talking about stuff that in this case was all set up around the forming of the United States. Yeah. That kind of shifting, again, you've got to have somebody with some pretty serious academic knowledge. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you were to do this as, say, an ensemble TV show, having somebody who's both the historian, who's probably going to be kind of the de facto leader of the team, somebody who's good on linguistics, mm -hmm. cultural studies. Yeah. No, no, this they would never have done that. That just wouldn't have happened or whatever. Mm -hmm. Music over time. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a few other things you could do, modes of transportation or what have you. Yeah. Well, in this book from the late 1700s, I'm used to the expression, you know, here's where we show you. And in this, the book, it says, here's where we shoo, S-H-E-W. Mm. Yeah. But again, language evolves over time. Yeah. And there was only one or two places in here, and here being the appropriate word, where it was here with two... H-E-E-R-E, -E -E, mm -hmm. and that was apparently the previous name of what became Broadway in New York. Part of the street name. Part of the street name. Which intrigued me, yes. But it comes down to, do you know how those things change over time? Yeah. And I don't think there was any expectation from the writers that we were going to, to understand those things, know those things, that we were solving the puzzles along with them. It's, it's not that kind of a movie. No, but that's part of why I think kids would enjoy it. Mm -hmm. 
is because it's the, oh, wow, I didn't know streets had names and got changed. Yes. You know, but at one point out in San Diego, there was a big campaign to change B Street to Bolt in celebration of the Chargers. Ah. Uh. Okay, because they'd have a winning season, this, that, and the other. And the joke was, if the Chargers won the season for one week, it would be Bolt Street oh, to celebrate. Wow. Right? So people wanted to make it permanent. And the people on B Street protested. They'd have to change their business cards, their addresses, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they're like, do you realize the financial burden you would be putting on the people who have businesses on this street? Well, and that's where one of the members of an ensemble kind of a show for this sort of deal, somebody with a postal history. Yeah. The government history, The they couldn't have done that because it wouldn't have had that address at that time. Zip codes didn't exist back then or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Now, at one point here when we needed a password, I felt that they they gave us sufficient wrong ideas and hints to give us a hint of what the right password was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was one of those that knowing enough about the person whose password it was, going the historical reference, that sort mm -hmm. of a thing. Mm -hmm. But I appreciated in the long list of all the possibilities that were obviously wrong, they put in one that was close enough that you could feel like you came up with it on your own. Yeah. And I thought well, that was one of the things where I'm like, yeah, see, this is good for kids. One of the other things that was interesting about this, people had cell phones. Mm -hmm. They generally didn't seem to have smartphones because I think the one mm -hmm. time they had to go look, the bad guys had to go look something up. They had a name. They put in a declaration of independence, but they had to go to a computer to yep. go do that. This was 2004. Yeah. We had a lot of flip phones. Mm -hmm. I think this kind of treasure hunt sort of a deal would be fascinating. If you could find a way to work in that every year more was added or it was moved or something mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. or you know, an, another time capsule was put in. So the the clues, the mechanism, the people who were behind it, and therefore what were they thinking? Would would they have done change over the years? Yeah, it's like oh, I think the the secret for this would be in the seventeen forty two box. Mm -hmm. Okay, well that would have been under so and so's jurisdiction. Probably would have done this. Oh, we've got to find this. Oh, this is in the the 1914 box or you know whatever year. Oh, well now we've got to go a completely different place. By this point there this was open in the US, so it's going to be over here or you know. Yeah. Getting a better sense for the people who put together the treasure hunt. Mm -hmm. Is something that's sometimes lacking in these shows. Here, we got a sense of it, but not too much of it. They were really riding on us going with the, it's a secret society of Masons. Yes, yes. Now, why Masons would have the only two entrances to the secret, you know, treasure vault or whatever be through crypts? <laughs> because nobody's going to move a crypt. Yeah, so clearly nobody's keeping an eye on this stuff, and they don't post guards. I, I don't know. There comes a point, if you go to that much trouble to set up the secret underground place and you immediately abandon it, uh -huh. that seems a little odd. Yeah, because we couldn't see birth or death dates. And there were, that. well, I rephrase, there was a body in at least one of the two crypts. Yes, the other one seemed to be empty and I didn't see, didn't notice the name on the outside of it. But for all we know, they pulled the casket to the back so they could come out. True, true. Possible, possible. 
I did find it funny when they're underground in New York and they're on these wooden stairs and a subway goes by and the whole place rumbles. Yes. But just the once. Yes. I liked it when uh, Ben Gates and his father finally worked together. Yes. And we get the fake clue. Yes. That one I thought was really funny. Mm -hmm. It it was put out there pretty well. And then, okay, bad guys are gone. Wait, that's not how history was. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I liked when dad's kind of working it and working it. And then he kind of looks to his son like, I I need something here. And his son's like, Boston. Okay, I can work with that. And he keeps going. Mm -hmm. So it was very much a team effort. Yeah. Well, you had the two guys, the two gates spinning the tail. You had the sidekick guy who's Riley. Riley. But, but, you know, where's the next clue? You know, yes. basically not helping. Not helping and aren't we about to be dead? Yeah. No matter what we do or say, aren't we about to be dead? Yeah. He was, he was a fun character. He was a good sidekick. He was helpful but not instrumental. And he had his moment or two to shine. Yeah. So I didn't think he got the, the bad end of the script. Yeah. Now- it's been ages since I've watched the second movie, which I want to say came out in 2007, but I could be wrong on that. That sounds right. I don't know if he's in it. That's... The only one I know for sure is Nicolas Cage is in it. That's an interesting question. But I don't know if his dad's in it, the character's you know, now presumably wife at the end. I want to say his dad is in the second movie, because I know dad and I watched both of them mm-hmm. in fairly close proximity on a TV. Um, yeah, Riley's in Book of Secrets also. Okay. So, because yeah, Dad and I were really enjoying them. There comes a point where the moment history isn't quite right, or something is just too outlandish, Mom tunes out. Yeah, yeah Dad is definitely in the second one. Mom's so, never, our mom's never much for fantasy. No, not at all. Yeah. So, the moment they say there is a secret map an invisible ink on the back of the Declaration of Independence. Mom is up and out of the room. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, if they're going to be this fanciful, forget it. Yeah. 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 I did find the way they were handing the Declaration went from respectful and careful to, ah, it's just another document. <laughs> We've got clean room prepared. We've got gloves at the ready. To, okay, it's not quite a clean room, but we've we've got protected surface. We plastic over it, and we've got gloves to... Well, it came in a plastic bag, so we'll use the plastic bag to hold one edge. Well, and then suddenly they're doing it with their bare hands uh-huh. out in the middle of, of- Independence Hall. Independence Hall, as another tour is about to come in in yeah. a few minutes. Yeah. They're carrying it around left, right, and center. Yeah. 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 And it, plastic poster tube container reappeared. A few times. When they left Independence Hall, it was only in the plastic bag, I could swear. Yeah, but they had to have a- yeah hard plastic thing for when Uh it was going to bounce around in traffic. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious what the main kind of, for lack of a better term, MacGuffin's going to be for the next film. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that much about the TV series, but I don't think there's a Gates family member in there at all. Oh, interesting. So Hmm. I don't know who's going to be kind of the lead or how they connect to all of this. Yeah. But I'm curious about it. Because again, it's, it's a fun show. It's a action adventure again, treasure hunt sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. So along those lines, again, Indiana Jones, Blood and Treasure is yes. another sort of a thing like it. Librarians certainly fits the bill, both the librarian movies and the librarians TV show. So if you're into that kind of a thing, 
definitely, I think this movie's worth checking out. Yeah, I agree. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.